Hey, thanks so much for joining us at our Red Rocks Church podcast. If you're new here, we're just a bunch of broken, messed up, imperfect people pursuing a perfect God. We hope that this message encourages your heart, builds your faith so that you can say yes to all of the plans and the purposes of God for your life. Enjoy this message. Red Rocks, how we do it? I love it. Come on. Hey, will you pray with me? Jesus, we love you so much. We believe we are living in the days that we have prayed for. We believe that we're not waiting for a move of God one day in the future. We've got our move of God right here and right now, and we refuse to miss it. So would we see a revival sweep across our nation in Jesus' name? Continue to write Red Rocks Church into your story because we believe the best is yet to come and we are ready for whatever it is that you're wanting to do next. And we pray this in the powerful, beautiful, and wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Somebody shout, amen, and make some noise if you love Jesus in this place. And keep that going. Help me show some love to all of our Red Rockers at every single one of our locations, specifically our three God Behind Bars campuses. My goodness, your family, we love you. You guys feel good? And if you feel like hearing this as much as I feel like preaching this, then we are in for a good day of church. And so if you have your Bible, go ahead and find Luke chapter 18. While you're turning there, let me just remind you, it is not a coincidence that you're here today. God did not accidentally make you and Jesus did not accidentally die for you. So lean in today like it's on purpose, like the spirit of the living God is about to speak to you, amen? Luke 18, nine through 14, here we go. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. Oh, I can't relate to this at all. Jesus said this parable, Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, the other, a tax collector. Somebody say, ooh. The Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Just a really cool guy right away. Robbers, ugh. Evildoers, are you kidding me? Adulterers, OMG or even like this tax collector. This guy's like standing right here and he's praying this out loud. I fast twice a week and I I give a 10th of all that I get, but the tax collector, he stood at a distance. Well, of course he did. Tax collectors were hated at a fever pitch back in Jesus' day. But here's the thing, for good reason. So don't get all soft on me today, church, and start feeling bad for this guy. He knows who he is. This is a man who has dedicated his life to profiting off the pain of his people. He knows who he is. That's why he would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then this line right here, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. Guarantee you everybody listening sucked air collectively. (gasps) What? This is the kind of story that gets you crucified. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be 
exalted. This talk is called Jesus People. If you're taking notes today, I want to show you what the gospel is and maybe just as important what the gospel is not. Because Red Rocks, we are people of the gospel. We are Jesus people. So let's pray one more time that God would speak to us. God, speak to us. Amen. That's spiritual enough. Trust me, he heard it. Scott, I'll see you in 21 minutes. I love you. Well, I'm just gonna throw this out there. I'm just gonna put this on the table. I am phenomenal at quoting movies, okay? It's a blessing and a curse. It is what it is, okay? I am better than anybody I know and anybody you know. And you might say, well, that's braggy. I just call it confidence, okay? So just give me this because I lose my keys at least once a week, but I can watch a movie twice and quote half of it back to you verbatim, which is very helpful in the real world, right? You know people who say they're good at quoting movies? I correct those people on their wrong inflections, okay? So my wife, my wife hates this because we'll just be on the couch watching The Notebook and I'll be mumbling all the lines under my, like, like, under my breath a half second before Ryan Gosling says them, which just drives my wife absolutely crazy. Not that I'm into like The Notebook or anything like that. But there are, true story, I'm not exaggerating, there are, there's a few movies, a handful of movies that I can actually quote. I know you're not going to believe me, but I'm, I would not lie to you in the Lord's house, okay? This is a true story. I can quote from start to finish. To name a few, to name a few, let's see. Remember the Titans, of course. Uh, Top Gun, that's actually how I, first, I got my first job in ministry because I flawlessly quoted an entire scene from Top Gun, and it just so happened to be my future boss's favorite movie, and that's why I'm a pastor to this day. And Apollo 13, um, obviously D2, The Mighty Ducks, and most scenes from all four Avengers movies, um, most scenes from the entire Harry Potter series. If it bothers you that I just referenced Harry Potter in church, you can email rjohnson at redrockschurch.com. And then, last but not least, the movie I can do the best, The Lion King. In my opinion, one of the greatest movies ever made. And if you, amen, if you disagree with me, just have fun being wrong, okay? One of the greatest movies ever made. The older I get, the more and more I actually have to fast forward through the stampede scene. I can't do it. Like, I know it's just drawings of a lion, but to me, it's so real when Mufasa dies and then Simba runs away and he meets Timon and Pumbaa and sings Hakuna Matata for three years until that legendary scene, that one night when Mufasa speaks to him from the sky and says, Simba, I wish I had that voice. James Earl Jones, like James Earl Jones, such a legend. Simba, father, like the difference between Simba's voice and Mufasa's voice is basically the difference between my voice and Mufasa's voice, okay? Simba, you have forgotten me. No, how could I? You have forgotten who you are and so forgotten me. Notice the inflections are on point. Look inside yourself, Simba. You are more than what you have become and you must take your place in the circle of life. How can I go back? I'm not who I used to be. 
And then the music intensifies and Mufasa says, remember who you are. You are my son and the one true king. And then Mufasa like fades back into the weather or the clouds. (laughs) Remember, remember, remember. End scene. And it's, it is so good. And Simba remembers, and I would too if I had a 500-foot fiery lion telling me to remember up in the sky. I'm like, God, why can't you talk to all of us that way? I actually don't wish that at all. I'd probably pee my pants. But Simba, he remembers who he is, and so he knows what to do. Simba remembers who he is, so he goes back to Pride Rock, and he defeats Scar, and he becomes king. And if I just ruined the Lion King for you, it came out in 1994. That's on you, not on me. I pray to God that you've seen the Lion King. If you haven't, you have my permission just to leave church right now. Go get a Disney Plus trial. Watch the Lion King. It will be that good for your soul. But I remember, man, being eight, and still that line resonated with me as an eight-year-old. Remember who you are. Because, and this will be up on the screen behind me, when we know who we are, we'll know what to do. The right identity leads to the right action. When you know who you are in any and every situation, when you're afraid, when you witness injustice, when you're trying to make a decision, when you don't know what's next, when you're in the unknown, if you know who you are, you will know what to do. So what does it mean to be Jesus people? Because when we know who we are, Red Rocks Church, in any and every situation, we will know what to do. So the tax collector and the Pharisee, they don't have an action problem. They have an identity problem. So I thought we'd talk about them really quick because these are two guys who are, for real, on the polar opposite sides of a very familiar pendulum swing that exists in the heart of every human being. So the Pharisee represents legalism, earning and deserving your way to God, this outside-in kind of religion, which, by the way, is not Christianity. And the tax collector represents lawlessness or rebellion. This idea that God's mercy means I don't got to change anything about my life. All grace and no truth, which by the way is also not Christianity. Two men, polar opposites, which makes me wonder how these guys get there. For real, because Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 is the same for both of them, just like it's the same for you and the same for me. This is Ephesians 2, 2, verse 1. It says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And that's it. It's not a very popular Bible verse. I guarantee you nobody listening to this right now in all the countries listening to this has Ephesians 2, verse 1 tattooed on your ribs right now. As for you and me, we were dead in our transgressions and sins. Sins. This is the truth that you and me are sinful, are sinners. That you're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you are a, a sinner. Now make no mistake, okay? You were, you were born or you were, you were made perfect two chapters before we became sinful. 
You have the Imago Dei, the very image of God written into your heart, royal blood coursing through your veins. That is a big deal. But make no mistake, you guys, we are sinful. We were born bad into a broken world. Sin is within us and sin is around us. Now, this is not a very popular thing to teach. I'm not sure if you've noticed, but long gone are the days of secularism simply just rolling its eyes at this Christian idea that you need to be saved from something. Secularism is beginning to see Christians as the problem, that what you need to be saved from is this idea that you need to be saved from something. Sounds great. Like, for real, that sounds awesome. The only problem with that is me, because I know myself. What's the greatest problem in the universe? G.K. Chesterton answered that question, I am. I know me. And if you're honest, you know you as well. I mean, do we have anybody in here batting a thousand? How about this week alone, anybody? Any perfect people pursuing a perfect God? Of course not. Welcome to the party. Welcome to Red Rocks Church. I've said it before, I'll say it again. The worst thing in the world to be, church, is not a sinner. It is a, it is, it's somebody who thinks they don't need a savior. But Ephesians chapter two, verse one, we were dead in our transgressions and sin. This is our starting point. So let me set the scene now with what we'll call religion. So this is a game most of humanity is playing right now. Earning and deserving my way to God. So we find ourselves somewhere in between bad and good. So we'll throw our tax collector over here. We'll throw our really well-behaved Pharisee somewhere over here. We'll throw Hitler like way over here, maybe here, right? And then all the Mother Teresas of the world, Billy Graham right here. And if you're anything like me, you go, well, I'm somewhere in between, right about here. Hopefully a little bit closer to this side. And then this is the game that so many of us play because every human being has eternity written into their hearts. So all of us understand there will come a day where I take my final breath, this side of eternity, and I sense something beyond this. So hopefully I can be a little bit more good than bad so that God or the universe will grant me whatever the afterlife holds in regards to goodness and the cosmic scales will tilt in my favor, in my direction. Do you remember in high school when your teacher used to grade on a curve and the very first day of class, you'd look around and, and see some people maybe not as sharp as you? And so you, you'd say like, okay, well, I'm not, I'm not the best, but I'm not that guy. I'm not the worst. So you breathe a sigh of relief thinking, I think I'm gonna be okay. Well, we treat God the same way where we believe God is somehow grading on a curve and we believe our goodness rather than our badness is what's going to get us one day to heaven. And the only problem with that is the Bible. The only problem with that, and, and like, here, here's the thing. I'm not trying to downplay the distance between, between Hitler and Mother Teresa because this gap is big and this gap is vast. All I'm saying is this gap pales in comparison to this gap. 
What is this gap? The distance between you on your absolute best day and the holiness and the righteousness of God, which, by the way, is what is required for you to get to heaven forever one day because a holy and perfect God cannot dwell where there is even an ounce of sin. So religion, essentially earning and deserving your way to this God who grades on a curve. And if you stop and think about it, this is kind of a silly game to play. So God's gonna let you into heaven because your sister's been divorced twice and you haven't. Or like your cousin, he's, I mean, he's kind of the black sheep of the family and in and out of rehab a few times. And I mean, you got your stuff, but you're not a drug addict. So God's gonna let you into heaven because you're like really into nonprofits because you go to church. I mean, the scary thing is you guys, Mother Teresa needed Jesus. See, this is kind of like thinking, I think back to when my dog Luna was a puppy. I used to take her for walks. I kid you not, when commercial jets would fly over, she would jump to try to grab them. And I'd sit there and realize, you really think you almost just got that? I mean, this is us playing the game of, I can earn my way to the holiness and righteousness and perfection of God. The Apostle Paul, who also used to be a Pharisee, by the way, until Jesus knocked him off his horse on the road to Damascus, said, hey, if anybody could do this, it'd be me. If anybody has reason to put faith in their flesh, it would be me. I'm better at behaving than you. I'm better at tithing than you. I help more little old ladies across the street than you. I am gooder than you in every way imaginable. And yet the apostle Paul would say, even me on my best day, my greatest deeds in comparison to this, he would say, it's filthy rags. You see, Michael Phelps is a good swimmer, but this is the Pacific Ocean. So when it comes to you eternally, like I don't I don't care how good of a person you are, you guys. None of us can do this. Do you see why you need a savior? Do you see how this this scene of bad news is being set so that the ultimate hero can enter in onto the scene? This is where John chapter three, verse 16 takes place right here, that God looked down and he assessed the situation and the Bible says he so loved the world. You all know that. It's the scripture Tim Tebow wrote, that there wasn't just a little bit of love. The Bible talks about this volume of love that God had for the world. He made the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus left his throne in paradise to come do for us what we could never do on our own. The Bible says he lived a perfect life and died a perfect death as a perfect sacrifice in order to perfect some very imperfect people. The cross bridges this gap right here. And this is the great exchange where essentially Jesus says to you, this is the invitation. He says, he says, give me your imperfections. Give me everything you've ever regretted. Give me all your sin, past, present, and future. And I will take them with me into the tomb I'm gonna borrow and I'll leave them there to rot three days later when I walk out. And in exchange, you get my righteousness. You get the holiness that you need to go to heaven forever one day. Church, this is the gospel of grace. 
It's our only chance for all of us. It levels the playing field for every single one of us. We're in the same boat together. I don't stand a chance without the grace of Jesus. This is what it means to be Jesus people, people of the gospel. Ephesians chapter two, bless you, verses eight and nine. For it is by grace that you've been saved. That's it. Not your works. It is by grace. A God who came and did for you what you couldn't do. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this, not from you, but a gift of God. And I love this, not by works, so that nobody can boast. A few years ago, I was in Australia. I got saved from a riptide at Bondi Beach. I've told a lot of you this story before. I'm not gonna show the video, although it's on Netflix if you wanna see it. Um, But... Chapo, an Australian lifeguard, saved my life that day. So my savior is Jesus, but my hero is Chapo, okay? Chapo did for me what I could not do on my own that day, drowning in a riptide. He left his lifeguard stand and came to get me and brought me back. Now, here's where I'm going. Imagine if I got back to the shore that afternoon and was like strutting on the sand, like, I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. Like, that makes no sense. Why? Because Chapo is the hero of that story. You know who I am? The dumb American tourist who thought he was stronger than the ocean and found out he was wrong. That's the role that I played that day. And I guess my point is, you guys, the role I played on the beach that day is the role that you and I assume in the gospel which should lead to an overwhelming amount of humility. Like, what'd you do? You, you got saved because you couldn't save yourself. This is why an arrogant Christian is an oxymoron. So if you're agnostic or atheist or you've walked away from your faith, please hear my heart. I'm not a Christian because I think I'm better than you. I'm a Christian because I know I'm not. That's why it was the tax collector not the Pharisee who walked out justified that day. And while humility does not lead to arrogance, it should lead us into crazy, crazy confidence. Oh, you better not be walking around like a puppy with its tail between its legs, thinking, I'm unlovable, I've gone too far, I've done too much. No, not if you're a Jesus person, not if you know Jesus. That is inappropriate behavior and thinking in light of this narrative that we just laid out, in light of the gospel. Walk confidently in the perfection that is now rightfully yours. You should be having a little bit of holy swagger. You should have a little spiritual pep in your step, dressed in the righteousness of the creator of everything. I don't care. I don't care what your story is. I don't care where you been. I don't care what you've done. I don't know your story. I don't have to because I know this story. I know Jesus. I know how powerful his grace is. I know that you're not better at sinning than Jesus is at saving. And if you think you are, with all due respect, you need to get over yourself and receive some grace because you're not that good even at messing up. You are not loved because you can perform accordingly. You and me are unconditionally loved because God is who he says he is and got murdered on a cross in order to murder sin. That's it. He knew what he was purchasing on that cross with his blood and has not a drop of buyer's remorse. Amen? Man, this is the gospel. This is the story that transforms the human heart. The only story 
that transforms the human heart. Did you know C.S. Lewis is a Christian because of this story? He said, because if you put the smartest men and women into a room together and said, come up with the next major religion, don't come out until you do, nobody would think of this. It'd be some different version of the same old, same old. You gotta, you need to figure this out. You need to do A, B, and C and not X, Y, and Z and behave your way to, nobody would think of a God who left everything to do for us what we could never do on our own. Oh my gosh, when the Holy Spirit moves and the gospel is preached, transformation in the human heart takes place. Eternal destinations get shifted and changed. I remember in 2009 on a Tuesday night in Boulder, Colorado, I walked out of a ministry called the Annex. Completely different than I walked in an hour and a half before. I walked in with all the reasons I belong right about here. But this story was preached. The Holy Spirit did something. And oh, I'm far from perfect. I don't have to prove that to you. But something has changed. Something has, has shifted in me. So Ephesians, if you go read it, it's really cool. If you go read Ephesians this week, you're gonna start to notice it hammers home this scene of salvation. But then if you flip to Galatians, the scene is going to change to this. So this goes from pre-salvation to post-salvation. So Paul wrote Galatians to the churches in a region called Galatia to a bunch of Christians who have been kind of doing the song and dance for a while, and he's gonna encourage them not to lose the original narrative. He says this in Galatians chapter one, verse six. This is so cool and, and sobering, okay? Paul says this, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the original story, that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and you're turning to a completely different gospel which actually is really no gospel at all. How quick are we, even once receiving salvation, to now trade the real thing, the real gospel, for a counterfeit? Okay, so this brings us back to the pendulum swing, post-salvation. So we've got legalism in our Pharisee over here, We've got lawlessness or rebellion in our tax collector over here. This is why we have to anchor ourselves, church, in the gospel, because when you are shifted into neutral, the human heart just seems to drift in one of these two destinations, directions. Some of us drift towards legalism, right? And this basically, after you get saved, is I need to help Jesus keep me saved. I need to keep my salvation somehow. So Jesus plus something equals heaven forever and abundant life right here and right now. In fact, there are entire denominations and groups based on this concept. Jesus plus not drinking that. Jesus plus baptism. Jesus plus communion this many times a year. But as soon as you give Jesus a plus one, Regardless of what that plus one is, you lose what the true gospel is. You have a slight perversion, which Paul would call counterfeit or really no gospel at all. Jesus plus nothing equals absolutely everything, heaven forever and abundant life in the here and now. Because as long as you find yourself over here, you guys, my goodness, you're gonna be playing uh, this weird game of shame and self-righteousness for the rest of your life. It's like a roller coaster, really. 
because you'll have those weeks or those days where you're just crushing it as a Christian. Like you wake up at 4 a.m. and you pray for everybody in the yellow pages before you memorize 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that gets quoted at every wedding ever and then you give that homeless guy 20 bucks and you assume I'm awesome. Like it's crazy how fast the human heart will start to think I'm awesome and nobody else is. And then what happens? Self-righteousness. Until the next day, man, for real, when you mess up royally, but you know better, and then you plummet into shame until you can climb back up into self-righteousness. I swear, it's a, it's a roller coaster. I'm crushing it, I'm crushing it. Click, 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 self-righteousness. Oh, I messed up again. Ah! Shame. Oh, I got it back. Went on the next mission trip, back in church. I'm crushing it again, self-righteous. Ah! Shame. And from the outside looking in, your friends are looking at you like, bro, are you okay? Like, you look exhausted. Like, you using religion to try to manage your sin is like trying to hold a beach ball underwater at the pool. You ever done that? Like, like as soon as you think you got lust under control, it pops out as anger. As soon as you got anger under control, like it slips out over here as comparison. Meanwhile, all your non-Christian friends are on the side of the pool and you're like, guys, get your beach balls and come be Christians too because theoretically, this is supposed to be awesome. And your friends are looking at you like, a better idea. How about you get out of the pool and let me give you a hug because you look like you need therapy right now, bro. Because who would look at that and call that freedom? It's not. Why? It's not this. It's not the gospel. It's a counterfeit version. It's called legalism. And so many of us are, are prone to this. Here's the cultural moment we find ourselves in right now. We, and nobody's fault. We had generation after generation who went to church as a religion. Their kids went with them and saw that so much of it was either fake or fear-based. And then you grew up, and you don't want to be feared into something. You want to love something. So what we've got is an entire generate, like generations of Christians who thought they tried Jesus, but really they just tried religion, who have left the church altogether, moving, by the way, to Denver and Austin and Brussels by the millions in search of the very thing they're actually running away from. So many, like I know the stories in this room, in all of these rooms. A lot of you grew up in a very legalistic household, right? And then all of a sudden you graduated from high school. It was like the, the gates of religion were, were like opened and you just, man, you sprinted straight over here like, this is awesome. Oh my gosh, this is so great. You come to a church like Red Rocks and you hear about the grace of Jesus and you go, oh, this is so awesome, dude. So I can like, I can do whatever I want and God's gonna forgive me. And what, what that shows is you still don't fully understand the gospel. Man, give me... Give me grace, give me truth, together, perfectly married, not in a concept, but in a person. Everything you're actually looking for is found right here. So if you find yourself drifting towards license or lawlessness or rebellion, this is what I've discovered in conversations I've had and in my own life, okay? Because my goodness, if this isn't, if this isn't my story, like, oh, well, this is better. I'll take this. If, oh, and it works until it doesn't. But what I've discovered is if you drift this way, nine times out of 10, 
It's because you don't fully trust that God is really for your joy. You think he's holding out on you? I mean, this is Adam and Eve, is it not? Naked together in an all-inclusive paradise with millions of trees and delicious fruit. One rule, don't eat that apple. I mean, this is not a hard gig, you guys. But they, they bought the lie, God's holding out on me. Look at all this, but he's, he's holding. You drift over here, why? Because you have Adam and Eve syndrome. You think, man, I'll find it better on my own. But as long as you're over here, there is always a ceiling for the joy that you can experience in this life. You will always hit some kind of lid. And what we're seeing in a lot of our cities is a great experiment starting to fail where people by the millions are hitting ceilings over and over, wondering what's wrong, going from well to well, trying to find anything to quench this eternal thirst that they have deep in their souls. Jesus is what rips the roof off for the joy that you can experience in this lifetime. It's Jesus who does that. This is, man, what is this if not that C.S. Lewis quote? I love, this is, this is such a famous quote. What does he say? He says, oh, we are half-hearted creatures over here fooling around with ambition and sex and drink when infinite joy is being offered us right here. Like ignorant kids in a slum building mud pies who can't fathom what is meant by a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. That's why you find yourself over here. You don't trust God. You think he's holding out on you. You actually don't want life bad enough because you'll never find it here. This is where Bono wrote his song, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And if he didn't, Galatians chapter five, verse one, if you keep reading, Paul says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. For freedom. Notice he says, freedom, free, twice. It is for freedom that I've been set free from something to something. In other words, you've been set free from legalism. You've been set free from rebellion and religion. You've been set free from Stop, like, stop striving so hard. You're fine. You don't have to be over here just striving, trying to keep yourself saved, Christian. And if you find yourself drifting towards legalism, what you need to do is figure out how to enjoy his grace. Stop striving. You're good. Been set free from that. You've also been set free from having to figure out how to quench this thirst on your own how to break through the ceiling on your own. You need to practice trusting the truth that is actually trying to set you free. Grace and truth, perfectly married in a person, not just heaven forever, then and there, but abundant life right here and right now. But if you keep reading in Galatians chapter five, he's gonna say, okay, so stand firm. He's talking to Christians. Once you've received salvation, you better anchor yourself to the gospel that originally saved you because we are so prone to drift this way and that way. So anchor yourself and stand firm right here, church. We are people of the gospel. We are Jesus people. We anchor ourselves to grace and truth because when we know who we are, we will know what to do. Amen. Amen. 
I'm, I'm working on something right now with my two-year-old, Will. It's taking a long time because he's two, but it's called the code, the Weckenman Code. So this is the Weckenman Code. We're kind, we're confident, we're brave. We're kind, we're confident, and we're brave. So when I drop Will off at daycare, I get down on one knee, I give him a hug, and I say, okay, buddy, have a good day. What's the code? He usually says, Daddy, I play Legos. So I spank him, because that's incorrect. <laughs> he who is not disciplined is an illegitimate child. I'm kidding. I, got, I live in Texas now, but I know this is Denver. I'm not sure if I can make that joke or not. When in doubt, I usually just make the joke. I play Legos, Daddy. Okay, buddy, get your Legos on. But what's the code? We are kind, yes, we are confident, and we're brave. I know he's only two, but I want him to know who he is because if he knows who he is, then in any and every situation throughout the rest of his life, he'll know what to do. When he's scared on the playground, when he's in a new classroom full of new kids, when he sees that kid get picked on, when he grows up and he follows God's calling to the other side of the world and he's, he's nervous where, he's, where his feet may fail and he, he's having a hard time trusting God when it feels like it's storming on his life and Jesus is napping in the boat in the middle of his storm when he, when he witnesses injustice and when he's trying to make a decision, do I go this way or that way? I'm not sure what to do. Like when you know who you are, church, you will know what to do. We are people of the gospel. We are Jesus people and as Jesus people we know what to do we just keep coming back to Jesus this is the constant invitation all throughout the scriptures echoing over the last 2,000 years to us today keep coming back to Jesus I don't care what kind of week you had last week I don't care what happened last night the invitation remains for you to come back to Jesus when you screw up you know okay I'm a Jesus person which means Jesus people don't wallow in self-pity punishing themselves until God cools down. No, I run to the throne of grace with confidence because I'm a Jesus person. And when I know who I am, then I will know what to do in all the situations I might face, when I witness injustice, when I'm trying to make that decision, when I don't know whether to do this or do that, I'm a Jesus person and I will continually just simply come back to Jesus. Yes, easier said than done, but the simplicity of the concept is refreshing, is it not? Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. That's why every time when you come into one of these buildings or watch online or listen in headphones, we're just finding a new way, a new creative way to talk about Jesus. That's all we do. We get together, we sing songs about Jesus and how amazing he is. We get in groups and we, we sit around in circles and encourage each other and push each other towards Jesus. And we go get Chipotle burritos or Starbucks lattes and we talk about, yes, life is difficult and challenging, but how good is Jesus? Jesus, 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 because we are people of the gospel, Jesus people. And when we know who we are, we will know what to do. Church, will you stand up? I, uh, I wasn't even planning on this, but my goodness, I, I am supposed to do this. And when the big man upstairs says, do this, yes, sir. Some of you heard that first narrative, the gospel, and you realize, man, I think I've been doing the religion dance. I think I've been putting my hope in my ability to good person myself to heaven forever one day. And 
It's like Michael Phelps trying to swim across the ocean. You can't do it. And that would be horrible news if you didn't have a savior and a king who has done it for you and offers you his undefeated record completely free and in exchange, takes all your sin, your defeated record, everything you've ever regretted in your entire life or ever will. He says, give it to me, give it to me. And you can take this. And from that moment on, salvation takes place and God looks down on you. And even though you're still a work in progress, this side of heaven, he sees perfection and righteousness in his son, Jesus. So just to create an individual moment for people right now, can everybody just bow your heads, close your eyes? It's not me speaking to you, it's God speaking to you right now. I had my moment back in 2009 on a Tuesday night. This weekend is your moment. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Do not wait. Why would you wait? Today is the day. This is the greatest news in the world. If you want to follow Jesus and simply just receive the free gift of salvation, just boldly raise your hand right now. Nothing magical about a hand raise, but... When you respond externally, it solidifies something that just happened on the inside. Here we go. At every location, come on. On your computer, on your TV right now, in your living room, just shoot your hand up. God's talking to you. This is your moment. This is amazing. Church, you can open your eyes and we can make some noise for everybody whose eternal destinations just changed. Heaven just got a little bit more crowded. I'm telling you, this never gets old when you do what I do. Congratulations to all of you who just made the greatest decision of your life. I wanna pray for you and I wanna pray for all of us right now who find ourselves here, anchoring ourselves to grace and truth, so prone to drift towards legalism or lawlessness, towards religion or rebellion. So let's pray right now. Jesus, would you help us to anchor ourselves as Jesus people, people of the gospel. Help us to anchor ourselves in the real narrative the narrative, the story that has changed the hearts of billions of people throughout history, the story that sets people free, the story that gives new beginnings of your grace being new with every breath that we take. We anchor ourselves right here and right now, regardless of the week we've had. We simply just come back to you, Jesus, the name that is greater than every other name. The throne that is higher than every other throne. All hail King Jesus, the King of everything, the Savior of the world, who left paradise to come and do for us what we could never do on our own. Jesus, may we never, ever graduate beyond the simple gospel. Would you continue to transform and change lives today as we sing to you? And we pray this in the beautiful, wonderful, and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Somebody shout, amen. Red Rocks Church, make some noise. Let's worship.